Welcome to Sunday on the Mic with George. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle Murphy. I'm George Doherty. And with us this week is Olympia native Chris Surface, otherwise known as the managing director of Tacoma Little Theater. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Happy to be here. We're excited to have Chris. Chris is our first virtual great guest, so we're uh, we're doing the Zoom thing today. Uh, Chris is up at his place in Tacoma. We, George and I are here in my basement in Olympia, but you won't know because through the magic of the internet, you won't be able to see any of it. Right. The power of podcasting. Yeah. Um, Chris and I go back a long ways. Chris and I met, uh, well, Chris actually met my dad long before he met me. Uh, my dad was one of Chris's teachers, I think in middle school. Uh, and then Chris and I met doing youth theater with a group called Kids at Play. Uh, and Chris was the Cowardly Lion. Chris, was that the first time you played the Cowardly Lion? That was the first time in 1992. Wow. Yeah, my sister was in that production, uh, and that this was actually before I ever got involved in, in doing theater. It was one of the reasons that I, I started to fall in love with it was that show with you as the Cowardly Lion. Um, so Chris is one of the people that I approached when I was uh, first setting out to launch Broadway Olympia, and he directed one of the shows in that season we discussed last week at the Capitol Theater. Uh, he directed the Rocky Horror Show, That's right. uh, which was absolutely fantastic and a wonderful experience. Thank you for doing that, Chris. I still, that goes down as one of my favorite theater experiences of any kind. Well, thank you. That was a fun show to do. Yeah, I yeah. did the props for that, or co-did the props. Yeah. Chris has also turned into one of the people that I frequently text after I see a Broadway show. Chris takes lots of trips to to see things in in the big city as well. As Chris, you just did a, a West End trip recently, didn't you? It was kind of an un unexpected trip to the West End. It was my first time there. I found out uh, on one Tuesday, and then I left that Sunday morning. Uh, so it was kind of a fast whirlwind trip that I was not expecting, wow. and it was fabulous. I want to go back now. Like I'll yeah. leave right now if anyone wants to take me. Oh my goodness. What did, did you see? Oh my goodness. Uh Woman in Black, and Juliet, Life of Pi, Harry Potter, both parts, Back to the Future. I feel like I'm forgetting. Oh, six. And the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh my goodness. Nice. That's a heck of a run. Um, I actually so they're they're doing both parts of Harry Potter still in London. The West End and Australia, I believe, are the only two companies still doing both parts separately. Interesting. And are you a Potterhead? I am a Potter-adjacent head. I know my <laughs> Harry Potter, but if you put me in a trivia contest, I'll probably come in third place. All right. Well, I need you might be helping me out here because I'm reading the books to my daughters right now. And every time Danielle and I go to New York, that's one of the shows that like might might fill out the trip. Uh, you know, it, as you as you know, in New York, they've condensed both of the shows into one. It's about a three, three and a half hour show. And Danielle has been told that if you aren't a huge Harry Potter fan, you're going to get completely lost. So I'd love to hear your thoughts as somebody who is kind of aware of the Potter universe, but not necessarily uh, Team Harry per se. How was that experience seeing two shows like that? Fantastic. Uh, from every point of the visual spectacle of it and how they do everything they do, you're just, your jaw's on the floor the whole time. What I would say is, if you know the basics of who Harry Potter is and who are his cohort of companions, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, it, there's a lot of mythos that goes along in there that if you know, you know, 
But the average armchair viewer is going to be absolutely fine. If they've seen one or two of the movies or read the books 15 years ago, they'll be fine. Yeah, I never read the books. What were you saying, Chris? I was going to say, go ahead, George. Um, I had, I've never read the books. I read the first book and I've seen the movies, although I have not seen the last two movies, but I read the script. I haven't seen the show, but I read the script and I could follow along without any trouble. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Just reading it. Well, one thing I'm going to say really quickly um, on Sunday, the mic, Sunday on the mic with George is Kyle, you and I've known each other a very long time, but George and I have known each other. I want to say 31 years. Oh something my goodness. Like that. Yeah. Chris- something like that. Probably. So George gave us a rundown on the first episode of the the history of the Capitol Theater and Capitol Playhouse, and that you talked a lot about that season. Right? Is that when you, you tell us how you guys met? I was post the Capitol Playhouse, Capitol Playhouse twenty four forming, but right. George and I met doing an Abbey Players show, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I think so. I remember rehearsals, being in rehearsals with you for something, but I don't remember what pajama it was. game, pajama game we did together, right? I was not in pajama games. You were not in pajama games. No, that was something along uh, that time period. Right. Cause I remember I, I had done gypsy and we were rehearsing for gypsy. Um, I don't remember now. We won't bore the listeners with that, but it's been a long time. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I, I like to, I like to say that George is one of the most, um, George has had his hand in almost every Olympia theater uh, well, I think probably every Olympia theater at this point as a volunteer, as an actor, as you know, working on the tech, tech teams. Yeah. Not animal fire. I haven't worked with animal fire theater yet, but well, I feel like that's just a matter of time. Everybody's worked with it. I, I right. haven't either, but um, they're wonderful. So I wouldn't. Yeah, and, I've and, seen a lot of their shows. Yeah. And, you know, they've talked about using the the theater in the mall, Oli theater before. So who knows? There might be a, a there might be something in the future there Could as well. Um, yeah, but. It's always a delight to be with George because George is one of the most knowledgeable theater people I know. Isn't he? I. This is why we're having this podcast. And if this is the first time you're tuning in, uh, where this came from was when I was in the show Sunday in the Park with George, with George, uh, we spent a lot of time in our dressing room and George would just drop these crazy stories on us about the history of Broadway musicals and and cast recordings. And and he would just hold court. And I thought this would make a really, really good like 45 minute chat session. And you might have talked about this on the first episode. George, do I remember correctly? AM radio show? Yes. Chaos radio um, at the Everybody um, um, no, it was, um, 89.3 FM, okay. FM, it was FM. It was the station out of the Evergreen State College and it was a community radio station. You did not have to be a student to do a show. It's a community radio station. Um, but I had a show for 15 years playing musicals. That's where I got most of my knowledge. I played my own recordings and chaos had, uh, their own music library, but I had my own stuff. It was a lot more varied than what they had they had the stuff that everybody knows but i have you know sweeney todd in catalan a little night music in catalan and now they've got um company and um what's the other one a chorus line that brand new recordings that antonio banderas had starred in and produced Mm -hmm. in spain in spanish Right. I've got things like that. That's Which what, got great reviews, by the way. Right. Both of them. Yes, I don't speak Spanish, but I'm right. sure it was wonderful. But they were recorded in, they were, they had translations done for them and um, great shows, great recordings, well, very well done. 
But I like that not just the something that everybody knows, not just the Phantom of the Opera that was the London cast recording. Yeah. Um, they did not make a Broadway cast recording. <laughs> I still am upset about that. But oh well. But we have the Cole Wilkinson Canadian cast recording. So at least there we got is that. that. And that is, if you know the song, well, if you know Phantom of the Opera, you know the song, um, Think of Me, that Christine sings. And at the end of that song, Christine has a cadenza. And it's been the same cadenza, except on the Canadian cast recording. That's the only one that has a different cadenza for Christine. And this is why we have a podcast, folks. He's not looking that up. He just knew that. And so when I heard that, because that was, I think that I'm pretty sure that was the second recording that was released. Correct. Um, and I thought it was so cool that like in real opera, every soprano who has a cadenza works with the conductor because the usually 90% of the time the composers are dead, but they'll work with a, con- a conductor or their music director, their own personal vocal coach, and they'll create a cadenza for themselves. And when they do certain shows that have these, you know, soprano cadenzas, each soprano has their own and then this the canadian recording had a different cadenza for christine on that number and then every recording after that including the movie although the movie is slightly different but every recording after that has the same one that andrew lloyd Webber had written for the original london production and it was kind of disappointing the other mind mind overwhelming experience from the canadian cast recording was that was kind of well, one of my first experiences with, wow, there's different lyrics on this one. Right. Because there were some lyric revisions from London to Broadway, which then made it into the Canadian cast recording. Mm-hmm. It was a Vita for me was the one that where I started noticing some of the differences. And I don't remember the details. I, mean, I think there were a couple different songs, but I uh, that was when I first became aware of the fact that a play could be so different, in fact, in different countries that they would release a a different recording for it. Right. Careful, we're going down a Lloyd Webber rabbit hole if we're not careful. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I was going to go in a slightly different direction. I have the Spanish cast recording of Evita, which was one of the first shows that was an American show, or at least English language show, but was set in a different country and sung in that the actual language of the show in which it is set because it was in Argentina and they spoke Spanish. And this was a Spanish cast recording sung in Spanish. And I don't know if I had had that situation before, Um, like the Phantom of the Opera. There actually is no French cast recording of Phantom of the Opera. You know, it's set in the French opera house. It's entirely a French story. And it was originally a French novel. The only way you can get a French recording is from the French release of the movie they re-recorded <laughs> it in french with sure. op- real sounds like real opera singers and that's the only way you can get any kind of a french cast recording but it's the french soundtrack and it's still really good um it's a region two dvd if people have multi-region dvd players uh i highly recommend it is that a common hack for those uh those folks who are looking for that foreign language broadway show um, it doesn't happen very often uh, where you have to get to a movie. Uh, there are, uh, for instance, there is a Swedish cast recording, or at least there was a radio broadcast, and I was able to get a copy of that uh, radio broadcast of a Swedish radio broadcast of uh, A Little Night Music, because it's based on a Swedish movie, Smiles of the Summer Night by Ingmar Bergman. And this was sung in Swedish. It is a Swedish story 
when they made the actual motion picture of Alumni Music, directed by Hal Prince, who directed the original stage production, they, for some reason, set it in Vienna, Austria. Hmm. And then they Austriaized some of the names. So instead of Henrik, the son, he was, I forget what they changed his name to, uh, but they made little changes like that. And of course they wrote a completely different song um, called the glamorous life in the stage production. It's a, a, a big production number in the movie. It's a voiceover for just um, Frederica, the daughter. Hmm. And uh, it's a fantastic song. People have sung it in concert. And there was a London production of a little night music with Judy Dench. And I think they incorporated part of that into the the regular version of a glamorous life as well. Interesting. That is a, that is a Sondheim show that I am not familiar with. And at this point it's almost intentional because I hope I'm hoping to see it before I really get familiar with the mm-hmm. score. I've listened to it maybe a dozen times and I love it, but I've, I've intentionally kept it at, a, at arm's length, hoping that I'll get to see a production. I know Chris TLT did that a, a few years ago. Did they not? We did it in the eighteen uh, nineteen season. That's yeah, right. I saw that. It was really good. I enjoyed that. I remember, some, I don't know if it was Tacoma Musical Playhouse or Tacoma Little Theater. Somebody had done it back in the 90s because I remember I was doing shows with the Abbey Players and my friend Claudia Lewis. Do you remember her? Did you know yes. Claudia Lewis? Yeah. Um, she was in that production, and um, but I don't remember if it was. I knew it was in Tacoma, but I don't remember which theater did it. Well, here's something I would love to get your opinions on since we are talking. Uh, we've talked a lot about Andrew Lloyd Webber and specifically Evita. We've talked about Antonio Banderas. And uh, the subject of today's show is stunt casting. I would really love to know what you guys thought of the Evita movie uh, and how that was handled and the folks, the good folks who got to play those roles. And, uh, the, you know, I, I'd love some input here because. When I saw it, I can't remember when it came out. I was fairly young. And to me, I was... 1996? Yeah. Something like that. That sounds right. I close to that. 96, 97. Point being, I was in a phase in my life where the fact that a show that I loved was in a theater was amazing. And I didn't really care about the details of casting, whether or not casting Madonna was a good idea. If a pop voice was the same as a Broadway voice so on and so forth. You know, I, I actually haven't seen it in years, but I would love to to hear what your thoughts on, are on this. Well, like Hairspray the movie, I didn't hate it as much as I thought it was going to. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. Madonna was not Patti LaPone. No. And she didn't embarrass herself in any way. And I think she deserved the Golden Globe that she did win for musical comedy, for lead actress in a musical comedy. She deserved that. She was pretty good. However, I think the role needs to be sung by a balls-to-the-wall belter. (laughs) Those numbers were made to be sung loudly and powerfully because loudness in musical theater and in opera especially, volume means equals emotion. And when you're just kind of singing it, get the notes, right? You're not able to impart emotion that way. And also, I think like um, Sweeney Todd, the movie, Helena Bonham Carter sang the notes very well, but there was no great range of volume. There wasn't a lot of emotional change in that as well. Yeah, we're going to talk about Sweeney Todd. It's an energy. It's an energy (laughs) with that. And and with the film of Avita, yes, it was a fabulous film, seeing all those locations. Mm -hmm. 
costuming, the production value is phenomenal, but Madonna is not a Broadway trained singer and right. she's a pop artist. And what she did was the it's beautiful recording. If you listen to it, it's beautiful, but it doesn't convey the story as a trained theater performer would convey that story. The acting while singing. The the thing that Bernadette Peters is known for the you know the thing that makes I think a lot of well, all Sondheim shows when they're done well really great is that telling that story through the vocals not just through the words right yeah yeah uh, being able to act just with your voice that Helena Bonham Carter was you know that was her issue for me and um, an actual Broadway production was the revival of Promises Promises they brought in Sean. Hayes, and he's got a nice voice, but when you listen to the cast recording, he just sings it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't emote with his voice. He doesn't have that experience. He's a good actor. He just won the Tony Award, and he's a great piano player. He's got that experience, but acting with your voice while singing, not just acting, acting uh, is a a skill that needs to be developed, and he hadn't developed that. And so he was thought of I mean, it was thought that he and both Kristen Chenoweth, with great, good performers, they were both um, not cast correctly in those yeah. roles. They were different. They were different types than what should have been cast in those roles. But they, again, that could have been stunt casting because they wanted names. Yeah. And well, this hyper pop rock is such a stylized music that it's not designed for Kristen Chenoweth. Right. But also the character of Fran in that show is not quite as strong as Kristen Chenoweth is. She's she's a strong actress. She's a strong personality. And the character of Fran is kind of a milquetoast character. It's supposed to be that way. And so she, Kristen Chenoweth is just the wrong type for that role. Yeah. Milquetoast is not, I don't think anybody's ever used her name and that word in the same sentence before. Right, right. Uh, that makes sense. And so this actually circles back to something you and I were talking about before we started recording, which was Sarah Borelli's. Um, I was fortunate enough to see her within about a year, uh, both in Waitress, which she wrote, uh, and as the baker's wife in one of my favorite shows of all time, Into the Woods. And she was wonderful in both. But even in the waitress, I, there was something that was that I could tell was like, I mean, I don't want to say lacking, but it didn't seem like a, the, some of the complete Broadway performances that I'd seen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just that, that if I had an opportunity to see someone like, you know, Jesse Mueller, I think that there would have been maybe some more depth to the way to the way the vocals help tell the story. Right. So. And one thing could have been since she took over the role, even though she wrote it. Um, not having the rehearsal time when you're oh sure getting into rehearsals for a brand new show and you're the original cast, you have more rehearsals. And even though as a star, you know, she's a name, she may not have gotten as much rehearsal as uh, Jesse Mueller had originally. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. And with Into the Woods, she originated that role off-Broadway and then when they transferred it to Broadway, she continued with it. Right. So she had all that experience off Broadway to work on and develop the characterization for the role when they went to Broadway. Yeah. But even then, I would say 
like she was great in that role and she acted the role well she gave like she gave some line readings uh, some interpretations i had not seen before that i thought were great but it's some i would have the same criticism of her vocals like they were beautiful she sang beautiful songs beautifully but it didn't it wasn't the same as if you see someone who can really like just pull your heart out with some of those things What else? So, what are some of the most surprising stunt casting that you surprising in that it was actually really good? You thought it was just going to be stunt casting, and it ended up being amazing. Ooh, yeah, I'll I'll say this one: Glenn Close in Sunset Boulevard. Oh yeah, she was not she she had done some Broadway and stuff, but she had not in the current time period been thought of as a Broadway performer. She was Fatal Attraction. She was. Uh, a TV star. She was a film star. And people didn't know Glenn Close as Glenn Close, trained Broadway performer. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and she yeah. had been in a couple of musicals as well, but had Barnum. been quite a while. Mm-hmm. Barnum and Rex. Yep. But and that was she, it. She embodied Norma Desmond. That's why they revived and gave it to her again 20 years later. Was it 20 years, George, or am I wrong on my time period? It's pretty close to 20, 94. No, even more so, because it was recently. And they want to... 2017 was on Broadway again. Yeah, it was 94. So 14, 23 years later. Yeah. But with, you know, with that, that's a great example of stunt casting that works brilliantly. Um, I I would disagree, of course. Yeah. Well, but she was out before Glenn Close was even part of her. Remember that? Well, no, they had. my, my, My memory is that they had. Patty did it in London. And then Glenn Close was going to do it in L.A. And that was Patty was OK with that. And then Patty was going to take over for Broadway. And then the producers um, wanted a movie star. And so they made Andrew Lee Weber fire Patty Lapone. I remember reading about that. I remember Faye Dunaway figures in there somewhere, too. And I don't remember. How yeah, I think she was going to do she was either going to take over or do a national tour. And then everything I've read about Faye Dunaway is. She's kind of wacky. Yeah. And then even reading about she was going to be in um, or she was in the the play about um, Maria Callas. I don't remember the name of the show is. And Audra McDonald was in that original production. Masterclass. And Faye Dunaway was in that for a while. And I guess there are some stories about her in that as well. So (laughs) if you're listening, Faye, stories are out there. (laughs) <laughs> but so what I would say though, Sunset Boulevard is a great example of Glenn Close being a great draw into that story. Right. You know, did Broadway need another revival of the Music Man? Probably not. <laughs> did it work because Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster were attached to it? And Hugh Jackman being the stunt cast of that duo. Look well, what it did. For but in a, also in a way, so, Sutton Foster is kind of stunt casting because the role is a soprano. Yeah. And and Sutton Foster may have had the chops, but they didn't let her express yeah. those. They changed it and turned it into a belter role. And just listening to the cast recording, I am not a fan of it. Yeah. It, so the the Hugh Jackman of it all is interesting because how do you say it's stunt casting when the guys, did he win the Tony or was he just nominated? He won the Tony for, for, for Boy from Oz. Oz. For Boy for from Boy Oz, from Oz, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, I mean, if you've seen, if you haven't seen his his Curly in Oklahoma, it's on Broadway HD. Oh, yeah. And that, that, like, that interpretation of Oklahoma is phenomenal. Did you know, I don't know if I told this last time, that he did not make it to Broadway in that original production. They they cast Patrick Wilson on Broadway when they brought the production over. 
because he was not known in America. This was just before Wolverine. Oh. Just before the X-Men movies. And he was not known at all in America. He was just this guy had done right. London production. And so that was certainly before Boy of Oz, Boy from Oz. But yeah, he wasn't known at that time. So that's why he did not do it on Broadway yeah. in the late 90s. Well, I, I feel I like he's... Go ahead, Kyle, go ahead. I was just going to say, I almost I feel like he's almost stereotypical casting for Harold Hill. He's like, he's roughly the right... He's a little old, but he's roughly the right age. He's the right profile. And I saw it. I think he did phenomenally, but he didn't like... He didn't reinvent the role. I mean, what I saw was a wonderful production of a classic show that had better dancing than I had ever seen in it before. But like, it wasn't something that I think if you like, oh, did you, were you around when they redid that? Did you get a chance to see it? It wasn't that special. Why I'd say stunt casting for music band though, is because if it had been anybody other than Hugh Jackman that took that role, it would have just been another production of music band on Broadway. Yeah. Could have been. Probably wouldn't even come to fruition. It no, had to be he, had to be that name to bring it to life. Yeah, a hundred percent. I totally agree with you. My only, I, I guess I'll say gripe um, with the clips that I've seen. I have not seen the show. I only know the cast recording. All the clips that I've seen of him, he looks like he's having so much fun in everything in every scene that I've seen him do. The few. The character of Harold Hill is he's a con man, and he's not supposed to be having fun. He's supposed to be hoodwinking all these people. And I didn't get that at all from the clips that I had seen that they didn't, he didn't embody that concept of a shyster kind of a, a con man in what I had seen. Well, you love him so much. It's hard to think of him that way, but you're not supposed to love the character of Harold Hill. Right. That's what I'm saying. You love Hugh so much. It's just, then he wasn't the right part. Yeah. It like Kristen Chenoweth, he was not cast correctly. Yeah. I think Kristen Chenoweth, who played Marion in the TV movie with Matthew Broderick, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and Matthew Broderick was also horribly cast in that. Oh yes. <laughs> I, this is a disclosure that is music band is one of my least favorite shows ever created. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, it does not resonate well with me. And I've seen it mm. enough times and I'm like, yeah, it's just not. A I show. love, of course, the original Broadway cast recording the Barbara Cook and Robert Preston, but I also love the, the 2000 revival with Rebecca Luker. She died a few years ago. Yes. She was fantastic. She was the epitome, the ultimate uh, Maid Marion, not Maid Marion, but Marion Peru, Marion the librarian. She was fantastic. Wasn't Rebecca Luker also the Christina on the Canadian Broadway cast recording of? She was not. No, she was not. Rebecca Kane. Rebecca Kane. Darn it. Yeah. Got my Rebecca's mixed up. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she was fantastic. And um, she was, uh, when when I went to New York, when we went to New York, no, um, Jeff King, I don't know if it was that year. Um, it must have been. It was in the 90s. There was a revival of Showboat on Broadway with yes, Rebecca Luker. And Jeff Kingsbury was saying that um, Rebecca Luker was incredible, that she aged in that show so well, like nobody had ever seen before. Because she starts out very young and innocent. And then by the end of the show, it's, you know, 20, 30 years later. And he said the way she progressed in age, acting wise and singing wise, it was, she was fantastic. Yeah, I regret not going to that show. That that was one that was on the list that they tried to get everyone to go to. And mm -hmm. I, I think I opted to go see Miss Saigon, which I don't regret. 
uh, at all. But it was that. Yeah, that was one that I did. I didn't know enough at the time to know why I should see it. Yeah, I didn't see Showboat either. Um, and I don't remember why or what I may have seen instead of. I remember seeing Sunset Boulevard with mm-hmm. Betty Buckley and Victor Victoria with Julie Andrews. I didn't see that. One that either. was fantastic. Oh, I bet. And um, we got off the bus and said, what's that show? Swinging on a Star. I think it's supposed to be a musical. Okay, let's yeah. go. Yeah, I remember that. It was a review. It was fun. It was not what I was expecting. At I love that. It was because yeah. I'd done the Harlequin shows that were all set in the 1940s. Yeah. And they had all that kind of music. And it was just fantastic. That's exactly what it was. So that was my first official Broadway show. Swinging on a Star, the Johnny Burke musical. Here's a question. Is Wayne Brady stunt casting anymore? Now I, I don't know. I asked because his name came up as it, when I was looking back at stunt casting. First of all, he well Lola in Kinky Boots, right. and I, I didn't see him do that, but I would imagine he was good. Uh, and then the uh, Aaron Burr in Hamilton, I guess he stood in as Aaron Burr for a few weeks, uh, and. I mean, he's a, an amazing performer, but I don't. I've I've never thought of somebody as him as somebody who stacks up to like a real, you know, a Broadway star. But he know he knows how to interact with the crowd. He knows how he's got charisma. Like, is is he stunt casting? I don't think yeah, anymore. I, would say to... Go ahead, I think Chris. once they prove their metal, they're not stunt casting anymore. Right? Maybe they're stunt cast once, and they come in and they do a show. And it's like, oh wow, they can really do it. And then when they come back next time, is it really stunt casting, or is it just it's yeah. a it's a well trained professional actor who can come in and do the job on the boards? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne Brady's Broadway credits, according to IBDB.com, is Chicago. Of did, course. Um, oh, who so hasn't was, been in Chicago? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Chicago is a stunt show. Yes. And then Kinky Nowadays. Boots, and then now he's going to be the Wiz in the revival oh, of the yeah. Wiz coming in April. Yeah. Twenty twenty four. He will be in. That original cast. I got to see him as a guest star in Freestyle Love Supreme, which if you didn't catch that, that was Lin-Manuel Miranda's and company. Not He was part of the group that created it. But um, basically, it was like a freestyle rap, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Mm -hmm. So it was perfect for Wayne Brady. And they had they had guest stars. There was like a there was a rotating cast. They had guest stars. So every night you get somebody special. Sometimes you get Lynn. Sometimes you get Christopher Jackson. That's who we got. And we also got Wayne Brady. And he did i've never seen anything like it first of all wayne brady is a huge comic book nerd i found this out because he gave a very accurate 10 minute freestyle rap about the history of the x-men starting off with like the birth of stan lee and then working (laughs) through the like the decades and it was it was insane and when i saw him do that i'm like well i I would probably watch this guy read the phone book uh if he (laughs) told me it was going to be funny you know it yeah he was just phenomenal um, well, this to bring it full circle, uh, you know, because this is Sunday on the mic with George, we like to highlight and talk about and focus on at least one Sondheim show. And I think this is a perfect time to bring up Sweeney Todd, because right now there is a production on Broadway starring Josh Groban and co-starring the kid whose name I can't pronounce. I always call him Gatton Mozzarella, the kid from uh, Stranger Things. We know who you're talking about. Yeah. And both you could make an argument, both of these you could make an argument for stunt casting, but I I got to see that production. And what I will tell you is that the kid from Stranger Things absolutely has the chops. He is phenomenal. It's not, it's not, I mean, his voice is good, 
but his delivery and presence of what he does with that role, like within three seconds, you're not thinking about him from the TV show anymore. Uh, but Groban, like he was wonderful and his vocals are amazing. Um, and you talk about volume equaling emotion. He really has that nailed. But I couldn't help but feel like I was watching an actor who's who's had one acting choice. He was motivated by deep pain. And that was it. He didn't, he was just the whole time. He didn't really move off of that. He didn't get no highs, no lows. There were it just, there wasn't much to it. And what I've been reading is that his understudies are just bringing the role to a new level. And yeah, they don't have his vocal chops, but it's, but the depth of, Sweeney himself is is tremendous. Have either of you guys seen Groban in anything? Do you have any thoughts on someone like that had I mean he's an operatic, you know, singer. Right. I've never seen him live. I've only seen videos and music videos and clips from um Natasha Pierre that he was in before mm-hmm. that. Yep. And he's good. He's definitely good. Uh I never would have thought he would be a Sweeney Todd, but um, what I've heard from the cast recording, I have enjoyed it. I think he's definitely a good performer in that respect. I would love to see him on in Sweeney Todd on stage. I don't think I will ever get the chance to, but there's that. You know, I, I've, I've heard some, I've seen him on screen, but I've never seen him live. Um, you know, he earned his Broadway cred in uh, Comet. Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 18, 1812, 18, 18, 18, 18, yeah. whatever the full title is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely a stunt to put his name up there to get to get people to come and see a new version of Sonnen because we just had one not too long ago with Patty. Right. Right. Was that 2012? George? I'm looking it up because I don't know off the top of my head. But, you know, we just, we had just, had that revival not too long before that so it was definitely uh no i was going to say something else but go ahead and finish your thought but you know we haven't seen a production for a little while and josh groban is a name that people know it grabs attention we've known him from his days on ellie mcbeal and that's something that snapped the people into hey we're gonna go see sweeney tom with josh groban and annalee ashford yeah hold on josh groban was on ellie mcbeal that is where he got a start am i correct on that george I think so. Um, as far as um, TV and and that kind of thing, he was a singer learning to be, uh, you know, taking voice lessons. And I think it was either I think it was Barbara Streisand heard him and said she wanted him to be her sound check person. Hmm. So he essentially learned her concert and sang her concert so that all the TV cameras for the venues and all the mic people and all the orchestra they could practice without her having to do the show. Wow. So he so she backed him from the beginning and cuz she recognized he's got a voice. And then that allowed him to get known because people love Barbara and then he went on to bigger and better things. Well, I'll tell you that I something that I will always take with me from that performance is the word joy at the end of the song Epiphany. He holds that note for approximately 3 years. And I cursed audibly when he, when it let up, I mean, like it struck me so hard. I didn't know what to do. I said a word I can't say on this, or we have to put a warning on the podcast label. Um, It, 
if you've ever seen those cartoons where the superhero has gotten his powers hidden, he's got he's powering up and he's got like electricity like pulsing from him. That's what the feeling was like. And it's that whole volume equals uh, volume equals emotion thing you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I felt like he was smashing me in the face with with these feelings. And I could really I mean, at that moment, like I felt his pain. Um, uh, The whole show wasn't like that. Vocals. Amazing. It just yeah, the the acting it was he was upset that he'd been sent away years and years and years ago. And that's and that, you know, Joanna was you know, that, that, that whole thing got screwed up and, and, uh, that was about it. And, you know, I would really love to see someone with, with a lot more Broadway history and experience lean into that role. I'm disappointed, not disappointed. I was going to say, I'm disappointed. This is the first one I ever got to saw. It was special. It was amazing. I wish I had been around to see the 2012 version. Um, it was 2005. It was 2005. Okay. Yeah. There was, well, that was the Broadway production. (laughs) There was the, I think, 2014 New York Orchestra, New York Philharmonic concert version with Bryn Titterful and uh, actress not known for singing Me and My Girl. She was in the original London production of Me and My Girl. Emma Thompson. She was? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, they filmed the Sweeney Todd Actually, they f- yeah, with uh, Emma Thompson, it's fantastic, and Brent Terrell, the opera singer. So that was in 2014, and then the Broadway production with Patti Lapone was in in 2005. Which jumping back for a second, going back to Gate Matarazzo from Stranger Things. Yeah, 2014, he was on Broadway's Gavroche. Right, I yes. saw that. He's he's stunt casting in a contemporary time period, being the fact that everybody knows his name now. Yeah, but he was a Broadway kid. Right. Well, and he was, he did a, a little stint on Evan, ha- Dear Evan Hansen right before it closed, which I was like, and everybody in, on the Broadway forum is making a big deal about him coming back. And, you know, I did a little research. Oh, yeah, he's he's been there before. And you can just tell he's, he has, he's so charismatic in, even in the darkness of that role. It's, it's, it's tremendous. Um you know, that's something that we, it's something that I'm starting to dive into a little bit more is like, what is star power and how can you define it? Because I do think that there are some folks who just make everybody better around them. And and he really does that in that role. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 So there was Josh also- Groban and Sweeney Todd. Hey, it's, it's stunt casting to a point, but. <laughs> <laughs> he does have the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier, uh, about Kyle and I were talking about, and I had brought up um, Jacqueline Hyde and the stunt casting during that show. Cause that oh. was on Broadway for five years. The final cast was David Hasselhoff and they filmed that version. And if you get a chance, avoid it like the plague. Oh my God, it is so over the top. It is, it's just wrong in every level. And then I was looking at an article about other cast people, other people who've been cast in the role of Jacqueline Hyde Rules so this is remember when they, they revived that on Broadway because David Hasselhoff closed it on Broadway, but then they brought it back with drumroll right. please, American Idol stunt casting, Constantine Morales. A right. Constantine. Except he does have theater chops as well. He True. came through uh Olympia actually on a In national Rent. tour of Rent. And yeah. I worked back 
he came to the Washington Center. Oh, he did? Yes, because I worked backstage at that time. I was doing overhires for the Washington Center and worked backstage in costumes. And I got to meet him and he gave me a little thingy that he was given to a lot of the people who worked backstage. So I got to meet him back then. It was really cool. The American Idol guy. And he's a really nice guy. And he's got a great voice. Yeah. And didn't he originate the lead role in another show that TLT just did? Um, the Rock Show. Why am I blanking on it? Rock of Ages. Rock of I don't Ages. Think he I don't, did he originate that, George? I can't remember now even. I do not know that. I, I thought he did, Let's but I could be wrong. Look him up. People... <laughs> Um, but American Idol has a long history of, of the stunt casting. We, we, you know, in in all kinds of shows. Uh, Catherine McPhee. Uh, we were actually uh, David Clark in in Kinky Boots. Uh, what was the other one we were just bringing up? There's a lot of them. Constantine <laughs> did. He originated. He did originate. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It was post post uh, rock post uh, American Idol. Right. I think Taylor Hicks did something too. Um, he did anyways. something at the fifth. Taylor Hicks did something at the fifth. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember what it was. George, do you remember? No, it I was don't. Some out of town tryout, I think, for something at the at the Fifth Avenue that Taylor Hicks was in. I wonder what the running count. I wonder what the running count of American Idol uh, stars that have performed in Chicago on Broadway <laughs> are. Uh he was in the national tour of Greece as Teen Angel. <laughs> ah. um justin gorini was just just closed the britney spears show uh one he's more, got some upon a one more time yeah what's that once upon a one more time yeah he was also in women on a verge of a women on the verge of a breakdown there was breakdown that one and um yeah, listening to that cast recording, it's a fantastic cast recording. I don't know why that lasted didn't last it as long as it did. Everybody in it. Patty Lepone was in that. Laura Benanti, Brian Stokes Mitchell. What show is this? Women. It's a musical version of Women on the Verge of Our Nervous Breakdown. All right. Um, music and lyrics by David Yazbek, who also did uh, full music and lyrics, The Full Monty, and um, oh, what was the show with? Uh, crap, I always have to look these up. Um, so I don't have everything off the top of my head. <laughs> um, John Lithgow and Norbert Leo Butts, who was in Wicked. Oh, um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yes, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. All the musicals that David Yazbek has written, for Broadway at least, were based on movies. All of them. They're great musicals. I have loved every cast recording of them. Um, the Band's Visit is the last, the latest one that mm. he's written. And the, they've all been based on movies. I didn't know that was based on a movie. My parents yeah. saw that and have, I mean, they've talked about it ever since. It's one that I, I would love to see if it ever tours. Yeah, it's got a beautiful score. And he writes such different scores, which is great. Uh, but uh, they've all, it's, I, just, I found that interesting when I realized that, when I realized that. that they've you want to have movies. your mind blown, Kyle? Sure. Do you know what else David Yazbek wrote? What? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> I did not do it, Rockapella. <laughs> now it's time to talk about shows on the home front, local shows going on uh, in and around Olympia, and of course uh, the Tacoma area as well. Especially since we've got Chris here. Uh, first, before we before we jump into anything, we want to plug one of our sponsors, uh, Oli Theater. 
which is a new black box theater in the mall that's been open for about a year and a half. In the Capitol Mall. The Capitol. On the west side of Olympia. Capitol Mall on the west side of Olympia, right next to uh, Old Navy and the movie theater. Across from Old Navy, right next to Wetzel's Pretzels. Find your pretzels, then go to theater. But yes, the the important thing in here is that uh, they've done everything from musicals to jazz performances to spoken word, and uh, actually the one act version of the play that goes wrong in that space. And in November, uh, uh, theater artist Olympia is reviving a program they used to have called uh, the, is it the Peck and, of Plays? An improbable Peck of Plays. An improbable Peck of Plays, which is a uh, which is a series of original short plays usually about 10 minutes in length an evening of one act uh, yes uh, of one act uh but they're all directed by different people and so auditions are coming up for those and that's going to be happening in november one of those plays is written by dan erickson maybe you know that name maybe you don't but you very well might have heard the name ben stiller who he dan erickson co-wrote a television show for apple tv called severance uh he was nominated for the golden globe i think he won they won something for it uh but he is from olympia he's an old family friend and he had uh he, he submitted a play for a similar project i was working on right before covid shut everything down so we're 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 going to use that again for this kathy dorgan is directing it nice. um there are you know several obviously a lot of other plays as part of this but that's the one i'm really excited about seeing i've read it and just being able to perform dan's work or be involved in it uh would be it's going to be really fun cool and um uh, after that we also have um at uh only theater uh Theater Arts Olympia is going to do Gilligan's Island Christmas Live. They're going to take a couple of episodes and do uh, reenact the Gilligan's Island episodes that uh, everybody knows and loves and and uh, all with local people. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. That sounds great. There's been a, quite a few of those actually in New York lately, like the Office parody and the... There's a Brady Bunch also. Yeah. Friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that should be really good. Um Chris, since you're joining us today, uh, why don't you tell us what's going on? You mentioned Misery. What else is going on in the future with Tacoma Little Theater? We got Misery October 20th through November 5th. Uh, Then we have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a new adaptation based on the Rankin and Bass special. That's going to be on our stages, and that's December 8th through the 31st. Um, Going into the new year, we've got A Doll's House Part 2, followed by Rent, which is a partner project with the University of Washington Tacoma. Then after that, we have Almost Maine presented as written. So it's going to be the four-person version of Almost Maine. And we close out with a piece called From the Mississippi Delta. So lots of things coming up still on our stages this year. Um, and it's been a fun season to start off with. Nice. Come That's awesome. Playhouse. We've got Cats coming up. Uh, Lakewood Playhouse has the Seafarer coming up for the holiday season. So a lot of good things happening just a little further north from Ole Town as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of great things going on in Tacoma. And I mean, both you and Tacoma Musical Playhouse this year, your seasons are are jam-packed with things that make me want to drive 30 minutes up I five to see you guys. Um, here locally, we've got Olympia Family Theater is opening uh, Percy Jackson. Right. Soon that'll be a fun show, a nice uh, a musical in that space. The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson musical. Yes. October 6th through the 29th. So 
they just opened this weekend. Yes. And if you saw Sunday in the Park with George, with George and I, you'll recognize some of the actors in that show. That's right. Uh, Harlequin, if we publish this in time for you to hear it, is opening every brilliant thing at the Mini Art Center and SPSCC. That's starring Elise Moore, who I've known since birth. She's amazing. Uh, she's one of my sister's best friends, yeah. uh, tr- incredibly talented comedic actress uh, who's been involved with Harlequin for a long time. I'm going to try and make that show. It's I'm sure it's going to be special. I volunteer at the Washington Center and I will be ushering for that show. I've already signed up for it. Oh, Ooh. wow. Yeah. That's going to be fantastic. And if we missed anything going on in or around Olympia, we'll try and get you next time. Um, uh, one of the things we, we hope that, you know, we think we're going to have a very local audience here and we hope that we can help spread the word about uh, all the wonderful theater that you can see uh, right here in in the Olympia area. Oh, yes. Olympia the Little Theater. Olympia Little Theater. Different from Olympia Family Theater. They are having, their next show is Who's in Bed with the Butler by Michael Parker. And that runs October 20th through November 5th. And they have their own dedicated theater up on Miller Street on the east side of Olympia. I've been involved in a few shows of theirs. I've acted on one and worked tech for several over the years. And it's a fun little theater. And I'm looking forward to seeing this one too. Yeah. So if you're tracking, you've got Oli Theater and Theater Artists Olympia. You've got Olympia Family Theater. You've got Olympia Little Theater. You've got Harlequin in downtown Olympia, uh, who is also using the Mini Arts Center at SPSCC. SPSCC also does their own productions. Exactly. I believe St. Martin's is doing some productions, and the local high schools around here are doing some amazing things. An animal fire. I almost right. forgot animal fire. There are sh- our resident Shakespeare in the park. They're fantastic. Uh, so much theater in and around Olympia. And, and then we've also got the tours coming through the Washington center. And there are a lot of startup theaters that are, are, are trying to do something uh, right now. There's a lot of, a lot of grassroots efforts. So there's a lot of, a lot of good performing arts going on around the area. Um, Chris, thank you for doing this. We definitely want to have you back, uh, especially Absolutely. for the, for the merrily, uh, for the merrily, we roll along episode. That will be a lot of fun, um, and it's just always fun to catch up. And sometimes I forget we're recording. Just you know, it's it's great to talk about the thing that we love. Because I don't know, I, this may come as a surprise to you. I don't have a lot of friends at work or in my on my softball team that like to really get into the nitty gritty of whether or not Annalie Ashford was better than Patty Lapone. <laughs> Uh, so this is a really fun time for me. Thanks for thanks for sharing it with me. It was a delightful evening. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Kyle. It's been a lot of fun. Glad we're doing this. All right. Well, to everybody listening, have a wonderful week, and we'll catch you next week on Sunday on the Mic with George. Woohoo! Woo!